Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show Nationwide. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Yes, I gave it right. Sorry. Okay. Uh, Happening now. Happening now. This is in my apologies to those of you listening in delay. You've seen this play out today. But uh, for those of us who are live, this is a a big deal. Uh, Joe Manchin is absolutely fundamentally blowing up Build Back Better. He just cussed out a reporter on Capitol Hill. In the last five minutes, Arthur Delaney of the Huffington Post, well, he worked for the Huffington Post. He probably deserved it. Uh, um, Yes. So Manchin has been in talks this morning with the White House, with Joe Biden. And Manchin has uh, announced he wants to kill the child tax credit inside Build Back Better for bipartisan, standalone, means-tested legislation. And he's not budging. Despite President Biden's pleas, according to sources at the White House, that this would scuttle the president's agenda, Joe Manchin is not changing. Uh, That's bad for, well, that's bad for the Democrats in general. Uh, It's bad for Chuck Schumer, who can't get things done, particularly when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez could run against him next year uh, as someone who could be more competent than him. And it's, I mean, for the Democratic agenda, it's it's bad all around. Brett Baer now reporting as well. Multiple sources on the Hill saying Bill Back Better is shelved until next year. Now Chuck Schumer has come out, and Chuck Schumer says that he himself uh, does not think they are going to be able to get it passed. And so he doesn't want to say, no, it's not going to be passed, but he doesn't want to commit at this moment to passing Build Back Better because he doesn't think Joe Manchin will vote for it at this moment. Joe Manchin has been involved in the talks, and Joe Manchin has insisted that it needs to be put off. Now, I got a caller on this. Chris, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Uh, yes, sir. Thank you for having me on. I love your show. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to see, have you ever thought about the idea that the progressives, they love coming in around, you know, that Christmas Eve and pass something that they only they're going to vote on. They just shove it through and you wake up the next morning and there it is and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, we, we kind of had that with Ivanka Trump, you know, being praised for moving us from a, uh, a shareholder capitalist economy to a stakeholder right. capitalist economy. And they loved her on the World Economic Forum and right. just, you know, praised her for moving us over into that, you know, communist idea. So I, I, here's the thing. Um, I don't think they can pass this in the middle of the night, and I have been concerned about that. But if Manchin is as dogmatic on this as he is, and it sounds like he is, uh, the rules of the Senate require that you have to be there uh, and you've got to be able to cast your vote. Manchin, if he's not there, the Democrats only have 49 votes. Uh, if Manchin, What about the Federal Reserve Act that got pushed through? You know, no problem. Wouldn't that uh – you know, shoved through on the Christmas Eve yeah, but, back but, there in uh, 1913. But they had the votes there. You know, there. whatnot. They had the votes there. Um, they, they had a majority of vote. Uh, with this, they will only have 49 votes, and Kamala Harris can't cast a tie vote when there are 49 Democratic votes because you won't be able to get Joe Manchin there. And here, that's the other rule. with So normally in the Senate, if you have an absentee in the Senate, so let's say you got all the 49 Republicans show up, and the 49 Democrats show up and Joe Manchin stays home. 
So Kamala Harris comes in. It's 49-49. Kamala Harris casts the tie-breaking vote. That happens with legislation all the time. The problem with reconciliation is that it's got to be a definitive vote. So Joe Manchin's got to be there to vote. You can't vote for reconciliation without all the senators present to make it happen. So you can't get that hanky-panky. It's very much like the filibuster. You can't come in and have the Democrats agree to get rid of the filibuster when there's no Republican present. There has to be Republican presence there. The Senate rules require it. And the Supreme Court has said while the House and the Senate get to write their own rules, they have to follow their rules. So they can't come in and change their rules without a Republican president because the Senate rules require that a Republican, one Republican at least be present. So they can't do this. Now, they may try. They may try. But you've got uh, a few names you may have heard of, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, Barrett, Alito, and Thomas, who I am very confident would very much put a stop to it if they did. The bottom line here is the Democrats can't get Build Back Better done right now because Joe Manchin has just blown it up this morning. Shortly after 1230 today, Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, announced that he wanted the child tax credit gone and he would not vote on a motion to proceed. Now, what's the motion to proceed? When the Build Back Better bill wants to go to the floor of the Senate, there must be a motion to proceed. It's actually entitled a motion to proceed to debate. You're not allowed in the Senate of the United States to begin debating legislation unless you first passed a motion to proceed. You need 50 votes to pass it and have Kamala Harris cast a tie-breaking vote. Well, Joe Manchin has said he's a no. That means there are only 49 Democrats who can even get the legislation to the floor of the Senate. If they can't get it to the floor of the Senate by Wednesday of next week, actually, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, Tuesday of next week, if they can't get it to the floor by Tuesday of next week, they're toast because Christmas is coming. And under the rules of the Senate, there have to be 72 hours of debate. There got to be a blanket 72 hours. Unless someone will waive that time, you have to have 72 hours on the floor of the Senate for any piece of legislation. Now, there's you normally can do this unanimous consent, but if a Republican objects, they got to have the 72 hours. No Democrat or Republican in Washington wants to be in Washington on Christmas. They don't. They may want to rush out on Christmas Eve if they have to. They've done it before. They're not going to be there on Christmas Day. Their staff is not going to be there on Christmas Day. It's a federal holiday. Everything's shut down. So they got to have it by Tuesday. It is now Wednesday, December 15th. They probably can't get it done. And it's dawning on them, and this is the problem for the Democrats, it's dawning on them that they don't have an agenda. The Republicans, by the way, and I've been meaning to talk about this. Now is the time to talk about it. The Republicans don't have an agenda either. In fact, Mitch McConnell has been pushed by donors, and we need to step back historically. We need to go in the Wayback Machine, way back to 1994 and the Republican Revolution with Newt Gingrich. One of the things the Republicans did is they came up with their contract with America. It was 10 things the Republicans would do if they took back Congress. It was a united message for the Republicans in the House. The Republicans in the Senate never went along with it. It was always about the House Republicans, and they won. Now, there is a lot of data out there, a ton of data out there, that they were going to win anyway, that the contract with America did nothing. 
The Senate never bought into it. In fact, do you know how many of the of the 10 items in Contract with America passed? One. Only one. Everything else either died in the Senate or Bill Clinton vetoed it. One thing passed. Now I can't remember what it was. I think it was to change the, the days of voting in Congress so members of Congress could spend more time with their families in their home districts. But nothing else passed. But it became legend among Republicans that contract with America is what caused them to take back the House. Therefore, every time the Republicans are in the minority and they sense that they may take back the majority, they want to come up with a new contract with America. They want to come up with new agenda items. You elect us and we will do these things that you will love. They can't get them through the Senate. I mean, if the Republicans take back the Senate next year, the Democrats will filibuster them. It's not going to happen. But the Republicans in the House, at least, and importantly, the donor class, they are convinced that if they do this, they will win. you got to have an agenda. So Mitch McConnell went into a meeting a couple of weeks ago with the donor class. And what they did is they told him you need an agenda. And Mitch McConnell said, nope, no agenda. We're not going to do one. All we have to do is we got to run against Joe Biden and the Democrats. That's it. The donors were not happy because the donors, they're a bunch of old geezers now, but they were the, the middle-aged people during the, the uh, Gingrich Revolution. They remember the contract with America. My gosh, the number of people I know who think the contract with America won Republicans' Congress. It didn't. I'm not in the camp that says it did. They were going to win anyway. The Democrats had gotten too corrupt. The nation demographically had shifted too much. But McConnell's telling him, we, we don't need it. We, we didn't need it in 2010. We just ran against Obama. We didn't need it in 2014. We ran against Obama. We, we just, we don't need it. And he's right. All they got to do is say, nope, we're, we're not, we're not going to be Republicans with a big agenda. Because that gives the Democrats something to attack. That gives the Democrats something to say, see, if you hand the Republicans back to the Senate, this is what they're going to do. So don't do anything. It's not like the Democrats are doing anything. It's not bad politics. You may not like it, but it's not bad politics. Not bad politics at all. All right. I'm going to venture. Can I? Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So never mind. Um, we're, we're, we're going to, to, to not go there right now. So that's all right. I, I'll let you guys know what's going on later. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. Nope. The call screener and I are having a conversation. Is that really what they, that's, that's, the, oh, wow. Nope. Nah. Sorry. I, I was, I was going to toy with them, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we had someone who very much was upset with me for nothing. So I was going to let them come on and embarrass themselves. But my call screener, we have a, we have a, a, a fill in call screener today and she's an angel. She did not want me to embarrass this person. So she let the person go. So I can't humiliate the person live on the air with all you listeners nationwide. And that's okay. It's all right. Every once in a while I get, get to embarrass somebody, but today is apparently not that day. Cause the call screener actually has a soul. Unlike Charlie. <laughs> Oh, although I do have to tell you, I mean, as an aside, folks, y'all just have to sit here. If Charlie were here, there would be, there would be lots of profanity. You're, you're, you're an angel compared to, yes, Charlie, my gosh. So my call screener 
Charlie, my producer, learned from Bo Snerdly. And I will tell you people, the very first time I ever filled in for Rush Limbaugh, I was behind glass and Bo Snerdly, and if you remember Kit Carson, they were on the other side. And I'm on the radio, and I'm talking, and all of a sudden, I see distinctly on Bo Snerdly's lips, MFR. And he's looking at me, and he is giving me the middle finger. And he is just yelling. And it is a profanity-laced tirade. I'm wearing headphones on the other side of glass, and I can hear him. And he's looking right at me, giving me the middle finger the entire time. And I thought, oh, no. This is my first and my last time filling in for Rush Limbaugh. And so on commercial break, I ran in the other room and I said, what, what, what did I do? And Kit Carson looks at me and says, what do you mean? I said, I, James is calling me an MFer and he's, he's giving me the middle finger. I can see it through the glass. I can read his lips. And Kit Carson says, oh no, he was just yelling at a caller. <laughs> yes. That was, yes, that was, that was my first experience behind the golden EIB microphone was Bo Snerdly, uh cussing out a caller. And I thought, I mean, I really, and you know, I told him about that one time. And in fact, I told him about it a, a while back. He was on the show here a couple of months ago. I said, do you even remember this? And he had no memory of it. He says, but yeah, that's what I do with the dumb callers. <laughs> and therefore, when you call and Charlie's not hawk hunting, you, you, you get something like that. <laughs> Because that's what we learned from. One day we're going to work on a sanctification, but today's not that day. All right, we'll be back. For several years when I practiced law, I volunteered for the Alliance Defending Freedom to be an on-call lawyer forum. It's one of the few legal nonprofits in the country that really racks up wins, both state courts and federal courts, for conservatives and Christians. People have a Christian conservative worldview. Since leaving my law practice, I've volunteered in the past to speak at ADF events. I've been to their training sessions where they teach lawyers and pundits how to talk plainly about complex legal issues and understand the state of play on cases around the country from local city councils all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now I'm glad to have ADF as an advertiser, but honestly, I'd be encouraging you to support them this time of year anyway. The Alliance Defending Freedom takes donations from you and uses them to help those who can't afford lawyers hire the very best lawyers to fight for freedom from the Supreme Court of the land all the way down to the local level. Right now, ADF has received a matching grant, so all new donors will have their gifts matched. All you have to do is go to adflegal.org slash Erickson today and donate. adflegal.org slash Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Hello there, it's Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-973-7425 should you wish to be a part of this here program. I will allow it. Oh, interesting. California's population loss accelerated during the pandemic. It's not just that people left for Texas, Idaho, Washington State, etc. The number of new entrants into the state plunged almost everywhere. In the Bay Area, entrances, that is people moving to California, fell 45%. It is a massive decline. Every part of the state has seen a massive drop-off. Gosh, I'm looking. Uh, yeah, it appears the Bay Area has had the biggest drop-off 
in the state of California, which doesn't surprise me. I mean, given what's going on in the in the Bay Area out there. So I have a friend of mine who he may be listening right now, who was in a, a venture capital firm in San Francisco, got to know him. We worked uh, on the Fred Thompson campaign for president together back in the day, 2008, I guess it was. God rest Fred. And so anyway, he's, he's moved out to San Francisco and worked in a venture capital firm. And he would send me these, these text messages with pictures from outside his office. And it was always greetings from behind the Iron Curtain. And there would be pictures of somebody pooping in the street, somebody shooting somebody, someone prostituting themselves, people performing sex acts, people shooting up with heroin, the needles on the street. It was the most bizarre thing. In broad daylight outside his office window. Here's all of this stuff happening. And the result is people are fleeing that part of California. They're fleeing California in general, but that part of the California in particular. It's a massive drop in population. And that's not a bad thing, actually. Uh, at some point, you got to hit rock bottom. And San Francisco has not hit rock bottom yet. And I suspect the day is coming when you've got now the mayor of, of San Francisco who has been wholly in the defund the police camp now saying maybe we need to not defund the police. It, there's a problem. You know, it's indicative, though. Uh, one of the problems San Francisco has is government. Uh, of course, a, a progressive utopia would be filled with government. Have you all seen these? They're called them parklets. Parklets. I didn't know that was the name of them. The outdoor spaces restaurants constructed for outdoor dining during the pandemic. In San Francisco, they're called parklets. And every restaurant was encouraged to get a parklet. Well, now they've come out with bureaucracy on what you must do to sustain your parklet and keep your parklet. And it is the most convoluted bureaucratic process known to mankind. It is this Byzantine labyrinth of channels you must go through in order to keep the parklet that the city itself told you to get or you'll get fined. And restaurateurs, their their spirits are breaking. They are giving up hope. So many other people around the country are giving up hope as well. It's just indicative of California. They used to have the California dream. And everybody wanted to live in California. It's a gorgeous country. California is gorgeous. Why is it the hippies always find the most beautiful places? Sedona, Arizona, San Francisco Bay Area, the area south of Los Angeles, Colorado, the hippies, they just find all the nice places and they move in and ruin it. Now they're ruining that area. I, I mean, it really is some of those beautiful country. I, I am not well-traveled in the United States. I grew up in Dubai. But my gosh, uh, the Half Moon Bay Area is a gorgeous, gorgeous country ruined by hippies. The holidays are here, and you need to find the perfect gift. One the hippies won't ruin. Omaha Steaks, they got the perfect gift. And the supply chain isn't going to affect getting it here in time for your friends, for your family, for your colleagues, an unforgettable gift guaranteed to be loved. What you do is go to omahasteaks.com and you put Eric in the search bar. You will save over 50% when you order the perfect gift package today. For $99.99, you will get the delicious butcher's cut, top sirloins, chicken breasts, sides, desserts, so much more. When you use Eric in the search bar, not only are you going to save over 50%, you're going to get eight Omaha Steak Burgers for free with your order. Now, there are already burgers there, so you get 12 total burgers, eight of them for free. Order the perfect gift package today at omahasteaks.com. Don't forget, eight free burgers when you put in Eric in the search bar. Get those top sirloins. You know, I've got the top sirloins in my freezer, and I haven't had them. I need to eat the top sirloins. I will report back. I am sure they're good because everything from Omaha Steaks is good. Order the perfect gift package today. 
omahasteaks.com. Put Eric in the search bar. You get over 50% off for $99.99. You get all of this plus eight free burgers at omahasteaks.com. Americans continue to navigate through multiple crises this year. We the People, a Bradley speaker series, offers insights and ideas on the current challenges we face from some of the remarkable organizations the Bradley Foundation supports. Visit bradleyfdn.org liberty to watch their most recent episode, which features Stephen Suckup, author of The Dictatorship of Woke Capital, How Political Correctness Captured Big Business, and Encounter Books Publication. In this episode, Sokup discusses the left's gradual takeover of corporate America and why the free market hasn't been able to prevent it, the dangerous impact of shareholder activism, and efforts to push back on it. That's Bradley with an L-E-Y at the end and then fdn.org slash liberty to watch the videos. Bradley, fdn.org slash liberty to watch the videos. New episodes debut weekly. Go back often, subscribe to the YouTube channel, be notified whenever a new one is posted. I know I'm behind on recipes too. It is, well, I sent so many out the week of Thanksgiving that I figured everybody needed a break. Oh, look at this. I'm sorry. I'm going to go on a personal tirade for just a moment. In October, October, I ordered my brand new MacBook Pro, fully loaded, M1 Max chip, four terabyte hard drive, 64 gigs of RAM. 16 inches, and it was supposed to come in three weeks ago. Well, my kid really actually needs a laptop for school. He's not listening now, so I can talk about this. So for Christmas, he's getting a MacBook Air, which just showed up at my house, according to the text message. Do you know what came in an hour ago? Text message from Apple. My computer? Should have been here three weeks ago. January 6th. What have I done? Every time I go to New York, I walk around the cube at the Apple store praying to Steve Jobs like you're supposed to in the cult. I've done everything right. I light incense in the name of Jobs. I buy all of my Apple products. I pray over it at night and they're doing this to me. Why is the Jobs God smiting me? I am a laughing stock among my friends, of whom everyone who works with me, they got a new M1 Mac because they all needed upgrades. They all came in before mine, and I'm what you call the boss, paid for all of them. And now my kid, even his is coming in before me, and an hour ago they delayed mine. Maybe it's the Chinese. They don't like me. You know, I'm blocked by the Chinese State Department, like on Twitter, their whole accounts, they've blocked me. Maybe it's them. They found out it's my laptop and the Chicoms are doing it. Maybe it's not Apple, although it's Apple because they're in China. I don't know. I'm going to have to drive over to Tim Cook's and give him a piece of my, I want my laptop. I need my laptop. I feel better. Raging against the machine, raging against the dying of the, yo, what is, I mean, it literally was supposed to be here three weeks ago. Now it's not going to be here till January 6th. I was hoping to have it before I went to Las Vegas next week. Okay. You know I could do an entire monologue. You all know I could. And, you know, it's holiday ratings. As I told the pig farmer junior earlier, eh, I got three more days to screw this gig up before I go on vacation. All right, Victor, save me from myself here. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Eric. Uh, question concerning the future 2024 election. I've been a Trump supporter and would be a Trump supporter again, assuming he runs. I believe he will. 
but I think he's going to turn off a heck of a lot of Trump supporters and independents as he continues the mantra of how the election was stolen. It may very well have been stolen. Uh, however, I think it is a huge turnoff to so many uh, voters. And I just want your opinion. Do you think there's you know, a, I, that uh, he will he, that he will uh, listen to someone around him that has some common sense? I mean, it's I hope it's so. Such a waste of words, and it's a turnoff. I mean, it's a huge turnoff. You know, twenty twenty four. That that may be when my laptop actually shows up. The way things are going. Um. Yeah. You know. Uh. I I agree with you that if if the Republicans are running on a campaign that's backward looking. I think that's going to be turn off to voters. Um, I don't think outside of the president's core supporters, I don't think there's a, a market or enthusiasm for stop this deal. When you look at take, forget Fox News, take Fox News out of the equation. Newsmax and OAN, two networks that are designed to steal Fox's share and do so by being more pro-Trump than Fox News have given up on the Stop the Steal stuff. And that tells me, based on their market research, and they're very good at this, that there's not really a market outside of a core group of constituents for that. Now, can Donald Trump run in 2024 and be disciplined enough on on message? I think he's capable of being disciplined on message. Um, one of his great superpowers, however, has been taken from him, his ability to be on Twitter and shape narratives. And that may actually be a good thing right now to some degree. Uh, it's interesting to me, though, that he has faded away to an extent with his supporters who've gone from 90 percent wanting to run for election to 60 percent in less than a year. The trend lines there, it may be 60 percent, but the trend lines aren't good. My suspicion is that people want a forward looking campaign. And the Republicans actually do have an opportunity to deliver one with someone younger than Biden. Uh, the problem is that if Donald Trump were to run in 2024, he would be as old as Joe Biden is now. And, I mean, I don't know that we will find out one way or the other what he does until after 2022. I will tell you this. If Donald Trump is incapable of taking out a number of people he has a grudge against, a Brian Kemp, a Brad Raffensperger, a – um, a Liz Cheney, you name it. Uh, I think that probably changes the equation to some degree. Uh, but yeah, if he runs in 2024, he can run a see, I told you so campaign and he can run against Joe Biden and Biden's record and say, he look, look at what he did and he'll do it in the future. It's kind of my, my problem with the David Perdue campaign down in Georgia uh, running against Governor Kemp. They've needlessly divided the Republicans now and they're running purely on Stop the Steal, a backward-looking campaign tactic for which you're essentially telling people that their lawful votes weren't lawful. Now, I realize for the hardcore Trump supporters, they believe the race was stolen. I get it. Uh, but most people don't. And if you're running an entire campaign focused on Stop the Steal, particularly when the Heritage Foundation now says, thanks to Governor Kemp and the Republicans of Georgia, Georgia is the number one state for election integrity in the country with their voting rights or voting bill package they pushed through. Yeah, I, I don't know that these backward-looking campaigns work. I'm reminded of a story I was told by Paul Begala, who's Bill Clinton's political advisor. We were at CNN together. I've told the story before, I think. Uh, Ann Richards was running in Texas. She was the Democratic darling. My gosh, to this day, the media loves Ann Richards. The woman's been dead for years, and they still talk about her as if she's alive. Her daughter, by the way, Cecile Richards, went on to run the baby-killing factory at Planned Parenthood. Ann Richards was a super, super hyper-progressive 
Democrat from Texas, who was always great with the one-liner. Uh, in 1988, she gave a big speech at the Repu- at the Democratic Convention about George H.W. Bush. She said, Poor George! He was born with a silver foot in his mouth! <laughs> um, and the Democrats loved that stuff. And then along came George W. Bush, and he beat her. Democrats never forgave George W. Bush for beating Ann Richards. But she called Bill Clinton in 1995 after she had lost. And she said, Bill, you're going to lose. Lose the presidency because you're making the same mistake I made. You're running on what you've done, not on what you're going to do. And if the voters don't know what you're going to do and the other guys tell them what he's going to do and it's not what you've done, they're going to go for that guy. you got to make a case for the future, not the past. And I think uh, take the take the partisanship labels out of it. That's really sound advice in politics. It run on what you're going to do, not on what was. Now back to the phones we go. Jack, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program. Uh, yes, sir. Thank you for having me on. You know, uh, I, I well, first of all, I was a real liberal back when uh, I was younger. And, uh, you know, towards the end of Russia's life, I, I, I mean, God rest his soul, you know, he, he really pulled me back to being a conservative. I had no idea that I was. And, you know, right towards the end, about six months, he started talking about the New World Order. And, you know, I, I know it's tough shoes to fill. Uh, is that something that you would want to go down in that road? Because he was really starting to open that up before passing away. So, How do you feel? You know, I actually think um, a lot of the conversations that people have about the new world order, so to speak, are conversations about things I don't know that that people perceive they understand and they don't. Uh, let, let, let me – this is, this is a, a good topic to distract me from the topics I was going to talk about. A lot of people want to believe that there, there is in capitalism the idea of the invisible hand of the market. And what the invisible hand of the market is meant to be is is not that there is someone pulling the strings, but it is the people in concert working at cross purposes from one another for each other's individual interest, balance out the system, and we arrive at uh, what a fair price is. We arrive in the free market at a a free and fair price and an exchange of conduct uh, that is fair. But people take that and they translate it into things they don't necessarily understand. Many people are increasingly suspicious of an integrated global world order. And I think there's legitimate reasons to be, particularly given the rise of China. But I don't think that there is – I mean, the the New World Order stuff, it's not new. I mentioned George H.W. Bush. Go back to the late 1980s. You had hardcore libertarians, LaRouches, and progressives in this country who were arguing that if George H.W. Bush got elected, he would lead us to a new world order. And the new world order would be a one-world government run from the United Nations. That's what they were claiming, and they were insistent. And it's never happened, and yet people are still doubled down on insisting it's going to happen. Now, what is this new world order that is coming? There is one coming. It is a globally integrated society where we have a World Trade Organization that deals with the trades and tariffs between organizations. We have Interpol that deals with crime between organizations. Uh, we, we have multinational and bilateral treaty obligations and trade protocols. We have combined uh, weaponry operations within militaries. It already exists to a degree. 
Now, each is autonomously controlled by the individual members. There's not one hegemonic power that everyone has ceded control to, but China wants to be the one in charge. And once China is in charge, the Chinese will not allow an opt-out. With Western order democracy, the the suspicions of one world order, they're, they're overplayed. They're overplayed by um, LaRouche's, by fringe libertarian movements, by some progressives, some uh, paleo-conservative groups. They're deeply suspicious of the integration of the world economic system. They're deeply suspicious of bilateral and multinational treaties, things that must happen in an integrated world. And we are an integrated world. I can go down to the Atlanta airport from where I am right now in my studio and hop on a plane in four hours. And in seven hours, I can be in London. I can hop on a plane and and be in Mexico in a couple hours, be in Mexico sooner than that, or in a different country. We are an integrated global system. And people are suspicious of the way nations have structured their relationships with each other. And I get it, particularly because you're dealing with a bunch of elitists who seem out of touch. But the real new world order, the one that is coming is something China would like to build, where it is the dominant hegemon, the superpower, with no other superpower. And the problem I have is that our nation is the predominant superpower right now, but we have made a decision as a people to decline. And don't say it's the elite. It's everybody. It's not just the elite. It's everybody. People are putting off marriages until their 30s, which means they're putting off kids indefinitely. They're embracing drug legalization. They're collapsing school systems. They're not supporting families. They're making all of the decisions necessary to collapse this country. Decline is a choice, and the people overall plus the elites are making that choice, and the Chinese are seeing it. There's a story out. I was going to talk about it a little earlier, but I'll get into it in the next hour. The Chinese have been using and are about to aggressively use American social media influencers, blue check marks on Instagram, like me, except not me, to promote the Beijing Olympics. They're going to pay American TikTok influencers to promote the Olympics. It's all a PR effort. And there aren't a lot of people when China starts throwing big money at them who are going to tell them no. Decline is a choice. When you all think of the New World Order conspiracy theory stuff, you're thinking of uh, something that at heart is possibly satanic, a grand government conspiracy to cede our diplomatic power to the United Nations and have a one world government where we're just one state instead of the United States of America, it's the United States of the world. It's not going to happen. They've been saying that for decades and it's never happened. They were saying this in the 1950s. It's never happened. What is going to happen is the Chinese want to be a dominant hegemon where they don't give you an opt-out. You have to do what they want or else. And Americans were playing right into their hands. Now, along the way, regardless of what happens, you at least need clean air. You don't want it to stink up like Beijing. So what you can do, or New Jersey for that matter, you, you don't want to smell like New Jersey. You can get the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. And it'll clean the air in your house. doesn't mask the odors. It eliminates the odors. Not only that, just rid of the bacteria, the mold, the pollen that's floating in the air. And it works. I use it in my house. I really do. What you do is you go to EdenPureDeals.com and you click on Eric Erickson. And then you put the Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack in your cart. If at checkout, you in the discount code box, you put in Eric3, E-R-I-C-K in the number three, no space, Eric3, you will get $200 off. 
You will get all three of them for less than $200, and you will get free shipping. So you get one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for the basement or the car, or three of them to give away for Christmas as presents. EdenPureDeals.com. At checkout, the discount code is ERIC3. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425 should you wish to be a part of this year program. I will allow you out of the graciousness of my heart, but you have to be nice to the call screener. You do. Now, we have other stuff to talk about. I actually do in the the next hour, I want to talk about the um, social media influencers that China is using because uh, they're dumping money. They're dumping a lot of money into the United States right now to try to influence our perception of China. We'll get there. Also, COVID fatigue. Right now, though, I, I got I to gotta play you this bit of audio. This is an exchange between Steve Ducey and Jen Psaki at the White House. Thank you, Jen. Why is it that there are still Americans stranded in Afghanistan? Well, I think... Uh Let me just reiterate something that Tony Blinken said back in August, which is that if Americans who are in Afghanistan wanted to leave, whether it was three weeks from now, a month from now, two months from now, back in August, we would help them get out. And that is something that we've delivered on our word on. I would note that since that time, we've directly assisted 479 American citizens, 450 lawful permanent residents, and SIV holders and SIV applicants to depart Afghanistan. Uh, that was That's important to convey because it's uh, it's important for people to understand who are there that even if they decided not to, even if they decided not to today, we are still going to help them depart, and there's evidence of that. Okay, 479 left behind is a lot higher than the 100 to 200 that President Biden was talking about at the end of August. 479 who we've helped depart right. since and August. He said uh, that he thought that there were, we believe there are 100 to 200 uh, with some intention to leave. So how did the number, how, how did you guys get the numbers? There were people who wanted, determined they wanted to leave since then, and it is our responsibility to help them depart. And so that's evidence of our commitment to do exactly that. And is this something, as there are now at least or about a dozen who want to leave right now, is this something the president works on every day? Certainly, he receives regular updates from his team, and we, uh, the State Department uh, and other national security officials really, really lead this effort. I would just reiterate that the United States does not track or put a tracker on American citizens traveling overseas, uh, whether they're in Afghanistan or any country around the world. That would be quite a Fox News story, wouldn't it be, if we did that? We don't do that, but we do provide a range of services even when we don't have a presence in a country. And our efforts to get American citizens out of Afghanistan, many of them dual citizens, many of them who have lived their whole lives there since that time is evidence of that. Okay. I've only got a couple of seconds here, but let me just point out this. This is Jin Psaki on December 15th, 2021, talking to uh, Pete Ducey at Fox News about Americans who are still in Afghanistan. We left that place at the end of August. Why are there still Americans there? And now this president thinks he wants to organize a retreat of Americans out of the Ukraine. How are we going to get people out of Ukraine when we still have not gotten the people out of Afghanistan? Logistically, I don't know how they I don't know how they pull this off. We have American citizens, some of them school children, still stuck in Afghanistan, beholden to the Taliban. And they're making excuses. They're not actually helping. 
and you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com.